0: A warm Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. It is time to return to our study on Thessalonians with Jeff fordorn. I've been looking forward to this. I think we're already in episode number nine. We're in the uh, first chapter of Thessalonians chapter four today. So if you have been uh, with us this whole time, I know that you have been enjoying the study as have I and we are going to dig into chapter four today. Jeff is a Bible teacher and a regular guest on the show as you know. Also a regular on Guy Talk, Jeff. Let's dig into this. Hi Bill. Hey. We got a lot to talk about today. We
1: do. One of my favorites. We're at the end of 1 Thessalonians 4, and as we've been going through this book, we've noticed that there is a reference to the rapture in every chapter of both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Say that and
0: one more time, I think that's really important.
1: That there is a reference to... To the rapture in every chapter of both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, except for the last chapter of 2nd Thessalonians, just kind of final greetings kind of stuff. But obviously, one of the things that we've talked about over the last several sessions is that the Thessalonians had been experiencing great persecution. We'll see this, especially when we get to 2nd Thessalonians, that it was so bad they thought they were in the rapture. And so, I'm sorry, in the, in the tribulation period and had missed the rapture. And so Paul is comforting them and explaining to them, no, don't worry. You haven't missed it. Let me tell you and give you a little bit more detail. And so in every chapter, there's a reference to the rapture. We are at the end of chapter four, which has one of the, one of two core rapture passages in it. And that's first Thessalonians four, 16, 17, and actually 18. Do you have that up by chance? I don't. Okay, then I'll read it because I do. Okay, and you think I'd be better prepared as hosting n- the show? Well, yeah, the, you would think that. Well, we. But and, I'm not. And uh, I won't. No comment. Uh, <laughs> verse sixteen: For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command in the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and and, are, and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And I like to point out every time I read this passage that this idea that one day, both the dead in Christ and those who are alive and remain, those are the two groups of people described here, will be caught up with the Lord in the air, and we will be with him forever. And that is an encouraging truth. Um, And that's what the hope is. Titus calls this event, the rapture, our blessed hope. By the way, the other core passage about the rapture is in 1 Corinthians 15. We read that last time, and uh, we're not going to get to that today. But so we're talking about the rapture. So last time, we kind of discussed the who, what happens, why it happens, what it's going to look like, uh, and so on. So everything about the rapture and describing these two groups of people, the dead in Christ who are in heaven right now, and they are going to be resurrected. They rise first, meaning they are resurrected, meaning they receive their glorified bodies. And then those who are alive and remain at that trumpet call down here on earth, our bodies are going to be changed, 1 Corinthians 15. We will be glorified. We will be resurrected to glory. And then we will be caught up together with them in the clouds. One of the key things that we are going to talk about today is a simple but clear distinction between the rapture of the church and the second coming. And number one is just simply the direction of travel. At the rapture, the church is being caught up from earth to heaven. And at the second coming, we see the church returning with Christ. Revelation 19, the armies of heaven were following him, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. So we are going from heaven down to earth. So these are two separate events. And like I said last time, we described what the rapture looks like. Today, we are going to discuss the timing of the rapture. Now, I don't mean the timing in terms of it's going to happen, you know, eight weeks from tomorrow kind of timing because then you'd be a
0: kooky person then I'd be. And, and I would not let you <laughs> on my show ever again
1: then I would be I actually have a list I think it's about 20 pages long of people who have predicted the the rapture and so far 100% of them have been wrong uh but in your in our lifetime there's actually been a number of them so if you recall the y2k deal mm-hmm. there was a Remember whole bunch that. of people predicting the rapture some reason because the year was going to turn 2000 um In 1988, uh, there was a man who believed that the rapture was going to happen in 1988, and he wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Would Happen in 1988, and it didn't, but it sold millions of copies. Mm -hmm. The next year, he updated it and retitled it, 89 Reasons Why the Rapture Would Happen in 1989. It didn't sell quite as well as his first book, but he updated that book every year for 20 years.
0: Are you serious? Yeah, I've read that. Oh, wow. At what point don't they just make him out to be a joke that should go away? Well, it, it didn't happen,
1: and he was wrong every year for however many years yeah. that he actually updated his book. Harold Camping came out, um, and I can't remember. Harold Camping was um, um, t- uh, 2011. That's right. He, he was predicting the rapture would happen in 2011. He had actually predicted the rapture was going to happen back in the 90s, I believe, the early 90s. He was wrong then, but this time he convinced many in the church again to send him millions of dollars to spread the news, and he collected it. And then, of course, the rapture didn't happen. Do you remember the four blood moons in 2014 and yes, 2015? I do. There was the the church was enamored with this idea that somehow these four blood moons were a sign that the rapture was going to happen uh, soon. That's because, by the way, there's one blood moon described in scripture, not four. But somehow some people started teaching that these four blood moons were a sign of the end. It didn't happen. Um, Twenty uh, the Revelation 12 signs. Oh, this was a big one. I actually met with a couple people that were completely convinced that the rapture was going to happen in September of 2017 based on some interpretations of Revelation chapter 12. Completely convinced. And then it didn't happen again. And they were crushed. They were literally crushed. Um, 2018 was the 70th anniversary of Israel. A lot of people thought that it might happen then. And there's actually a new one out. The, this new theory goes to the idea that it there, that man's will be on earth for 6,000 years, that the 7,000th year will be the millennial reign. And so when you count off from Adam and the events of Genesis to, this, to the end of the 6,000 years, back up seven years for a pre-trib rapture, and you get to 2024. And so actually s- starting now, you're going to start probably hearing more and more about this idea that the rapture is going to happen in 2024.
0: Mm. All right. But yet
1: no one knows. And no, no one, one knows. Know. And so that's, I, I am convinced that we cannot know the hour of the day. We don't know. It can happen tomorrow. It can happen next week, next month, 10 years from now. A hundred years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also many prophecy folks right now that say, no, it's got to happen sooner than a hundred years from now. And I I like to point out, if you were a prophecy scholar during World War II, you saw the world at war, nation rising against nation. You saw 60 million people die. You saw a holocaust of the Jewish people and the return of the Jews back to their land and a nation being born in a day, May 14th, 1948. Israel is born again, uh, not born again, born A state again. You would look at those events and say, "Surely the Lord is going to return any moment," and yet that was eighty years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, We just can't know when the Lord, when that trump is going to to sound. Our job is to be ready. But we are going to talk about the timing of the rapture, not in relation to when it's going to happen on the calendar, but when it's going to happen in relation to god's plan for the end of the age so is it pre-trib mid-trib pre-wrath post-trib we're going to have those discussions and today i'm going to try to make a biblical case for the pre-trib rapture
0: all right jeff redorn is my guest we are in first thessalonians chapter four if you just joined us it's always helpful to open your bible and follow along with us uh all right jeff let's start getting into these verses that support a pre-trib rapture all right so there
1: are like i said i think I'm, i think I have 10 kind of core ideas there is no place in scripture um, that spells out very clearly and specifically the timing of the rapture of the church so what we need to do is we need to glean from scripture the different pieces of this puzzle and we need to put the pieces together to build a a picture, a a comprehensive and consistent picture of all these passages uh, to build the most plausible uh, conclusion of the timing of the rapture, if that makes sense. So we're going to walk through those. The first one I want to talk about is immediacy. There is a sense from Scripture that the rapture happens at at a time that's imminent, It can happen at any moment. Remember, Jesus says he comes as a thief in the night, 1 Thessalonians 5 says. It's our blessed hope. We're hoping for an event. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we know it's coming. It's a source of encouragement for us. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, we just read that passage. So we are to be watchful and looking, for he is coming soon. Now, this is an interesting word. At the end of Revelation 22 Jesus says, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me. Now, a lot of people would look at that in English and say, well, wait a minute here. Jesus has been gone for 2,000 years. He has not come back soon. And, and they'd be right. But this Greek word for soon here is the Greek word teku, T-A-C-H-U. And it can mean soon, but it can also mean suddenly suddenly without warning. And I think that latter definition is more appropriate in Revelation 22. What Jesus is saying is I'm coming suddenly without warning at an unannounced time like a thief in the night. Remember, there are no prophecies or signs for the rapture of the church. None. We don't know. There's nothing that needs to be fulfilled in or, prior to the rapture happening. It's just going to happen at an unannounced time. Now, the second coming, we have lots of signs for that. There's seven years of signs leading up to the second coming, but the rapture itself has no signs. So when Jesus says, I'm coming soon, suddenly, who without warning, that's the idea of imminency. If the rapture was any other time in that seven-year period, you could know when it's going to happen. If it's at the midpoint, I know it's three and a half years after yeah. the start of the
0: tribulation. And every generation, Jeff would say, "All right, I understand this could happen suddenly." Because if you think it could happen soon, you would think, "Well, maybe in my lifetime." Correct. And you could spend all of your your days thinking, "Maybe it's going to be next next year. Maybe next year." And I think that's exactly how he wants
1: his church to live. With that sense of expectancy. With that sense of expectancy, yes, exactly.
0: All right, we'll take a break. We'll continue our study in 1 Thessalonians with Jeff Ferdorn. Make sure you don't go anywhere because we'll be right back in 90 seconds. Our topic today is First Thessalonians, and we are uh, talking to Jeff Verdorn, and we're continuing our study. I think this is our ninth episode in the study. Jeff, I'm loving it, and uh, let's continue looking for signs in Scripture of the Rapture.
1: We just talked about one reason why there's uh, why the Rapture is going to be pre-trib, a pre-trib Rapture. We're going to look at the second reason now, and we're going to look at Second Thessalonians chapter two. Now, at the start of Second Thessalonians chapter two. Uh, Paul talks about, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him. Well, what is that event? It's clearly the rapture. We're going to be gathered to the Lord at the rapture of the church. So the context here in chapter 2 is the rapture of the church. Uh, Paul is going to go on, starting in verse 4, and I want you to read this, to describe what needs to happen uh, b- before this event takes place, this tribulation event takes place, and that is that the restraining force needs to be removed. And so that's what we're going to look at. And I think this is probably one of the clearest places in Scripture to, that describes a pre-trib
0: rapture. So let's read it. Read verse 4 through 8, if you would. All right, this is in Second Thessalonians. Mm-hmm. Chapter 2. Chapter 2, starting in verse 4. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? Okay,
1: so stop just for a second. Okay. The the he here is the Antichrist. He is going to set up an abomination of desolation in the temple of God. Daniel talks about this. Uh, Matthew, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24. Uh, Obviously, Paul used to tell the Thessalonians about this. Don't you remember I used to tell you these things? And this Antichrist is going to set himself up as God in the temple of God at the midpoint of the tribulation. So that's what Paul is referring to there. Okay, keep reading. Verse 6.
0: And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. It's I love scripture. Every Almost every time
1: this man, this antichrist, this beast, this lawless one is referenced in Scripture. God reminds the reader that he's a defeated foe, right? He's going to be overthrown with the breath of his mouth. Almost every time that this guy is mentioned, God also mentions that he is going to be defeated. I love it. I do. I do too. So, but we now see Paul saying there's a force that's holding this Antichrist back and that force, this he must be taken out of the way and then the lawless one Will be revealed. Mm -hmm. So, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. Verse 7. So, what is this force that's taken out of the way? Theologians debate whether or not this is the Holy Spirit or the church. I don't know that it's necessary to make a distinction because the Holy Spirit indwells the church. This church, filled with the Holy Spirit, is a restraining force in this world. The church is a force for good, for righteousness, for truth in this world. We are to be the salt and light of this world, holding up what is good, condemning what is evil, calling sin, sin, and being agents of righteousness in this world. So whether it's the spirit or the church, I don't think it matters because it needs to be taken out of the way. It needs to be removed then and only then will the lawless one be revealed, Chapter or verse 8, um, who clearly is this one who's going to exalt himself over everything that is called God. This is the Antichrist. In other words, the church filled with the Holy Spirit needs to be removed before the Antichrist is revealed. Now, the Antichrist is revealed as part of the first seal in the book of Revelation, In other words, the first seal that is opened, Revelation chapter 6, is a deceiver on a white horse come to deceive many. That is the Antichrist. So one of the first things that happen in the tribulation period is that the deceiver is revealed. He's released on the earth, and therefore, the church needs to be raptured. It needs to be taken out of the way before the tribulation begins, Mm -hmm. a pre-trib rapture. Mm -hmm. So... Look, 2 Thessalonians 2 here is probably one of the most powerful pieces of this puzzle to declare that the rapture needs to happen prior to the tribulation, during which the Antichrist is
0: revealed. Cool. That is very cool. Jeff, you made some other comment, which I need to have you scribble in your notes that we're going to talk about later when you're talking about setting up the abomination of desolation. Mm -hmm. That is uh, going to go over a lot of people's heads. And we're going to have to flesh that out and let people know and understand what that is. It's not an easy concept to understand. Uh, I've studied it myself and I still scratch my head a little bit.
1: Yeah. So real quick, just 30 seconds. Daniel nine introduces the, the idea of a future seven year tribulation that's going to come upon the earth. This seven year period is part of Daniel's 70 weeks of judgment or 77s of judgment. And the last seven year period, Daniel's 70th week basically has these three components. There is an Antichrist that's coming in the middle of this seven-year period. An abomination is going to be set up, and then the end is poured out on this Antichrist. That's all we learned from Daniel chapter 9, all right? Those three things. That is seven years, and that those three events are going to happen. Mm -hmm. Jesus picks up on that idea and says, when you see that abomination, in other words, when you see the abomination in the middle of the tribulation period, Israel needs to flee because that Antichrist is going to be indwelt by Satan and he is going to come after the Jews. So they flee. Matthew, This is Matthew 24. So, And then Paul in Thessalonians here says that as part of that, he's going to declare himself to be God. So what's going to happen? There's a rebuilt temple that's going to be here, and the Antichrist is going to declare himself to be God and set up some kind of abomination in the temple of God.
0: Mm-hmm. All right.
1: Number three. Well, number three. We are going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Okay. So a couple, a um, little bit ahead. So I'm sorry, backwards. Backwards, First, yeah. yeah. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. And read for me
0: 1 through 3, if you would. First uh, Thessalonians 5. 1 through 3. 1 through 3. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape.
1: So two things we glean from this passage. One, we don't know about the times and the dates that all this is going to happen. We started the show with that idea that we just cannot know when the rapture is going to happen. So uh, about dates, he's not going to write us. But we know, he says, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That's that idea of immediacy that we had talked about earlier, item number one. And that, that destruction, meaning the tribulation period, comes upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. In other words, this time of wrath that is going to come upon the world comes upon them, meaning the world. Mm-hmm. Not upon us, meaning believers, but upon the world. So the, 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 the key idea here is that this period, period of time of wrath of this judgment of this destruction of this tribulation is going to come upon the world not on the church and there's another one coming up in a minute i'll show you that the church is not appointed to suffer wrath and that's going to go with this in just a minute
0: and jeff we're going to break here in just a second but i look at this uh, verse three and it says while people are saying safe uh, peace and safety if they were in the middle of god's wrath being poured out they wouldn't be saying peace and safety, I don't believe.
1: Yeah, so then we'll pick that up when we come back because this is just the picture we have from the days of Noah, Okay. just as in the days of Noah, and that's exactly where we'll pick up in number four.
0: All right, we're going to take a little break. If you uh, ever wonder, if you really are a Christian, if you've got questions about what it means to begin a relationship with Jesus, or you just want to chat with somebody about it, you can do that. Just text the word faith to one. Two two four. That's text the word faith to 41224. After a short break, I'll be back with my guest Jeff Verdorn as we continue our study in First Thessalonians. I'm so glad you're listening today. I'll be right back with lots more. Jeff Verdorn, because we're uh, in our study of 1 Thessalonians, and after 1 Thessalonians, we're going to do 2 Thessalonians, so there's a lot to look forward to in this study. We're in chapter 4, and now we jumped into chapter 5 a little bit. Jeff, where do we go from here?
1: So we're talking about the reasons for a pre-tribulation rapture. I mentioned immediacy, number one, that the restraining force must be removed, number two, that the church is not part of the day of the Lord, number three, and you brought up a great point that this was a time of peace and safety and that's the image that we see so when the rapture happens when this day of the lord comes which actually starts right after the rapture of the church um we, we we have a time of peace and safety this parallels a passage in matthew 24 where christ himself says as it was in the days of noah so it will be at the coming of the son of man i believe that's a reference to the rapture For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage right up until the day that Noah entered the ark, and then destruction came upon them. If that is the picture, just like the rapture of the church, which we just read in 1 Thessalonians 5, that destruction is going to come upon them, not on us, well, then what was the world like? The world was going on relatively normally. People were eating and drinking given to marriage right up until the day that the flood began, and then destruction came upon them. I think that's the picture that God gives us for the rapture. If the rapture is during the tribulation period, the world is going to be anything but normal. It's going to be chaos, yeah. madness, uh, uh, wrath of God, trumpet judgments, bowl judgments, all kinds of stuff. So I think this is another clue that the rapture is going to happen at an unannounced time, sometime before the tribulation is poured out upon the world. All right. Number five. This then goes with this idea that we're not appointed to suffer wrath, that the church is not under the wrath of God, and the tribulation period is God's wrath being poured out on the earth. So we have passages such as 1 Thessalonians 1.10. We covered this in chapter 1, that we are to wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Well, I think that coming wrath is the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation. And God says he rescues us from that. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, which we just read, says God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through Christ Jesus. We are not under wrath. So why would the church go through the wrath of God? We're not under God's wrath. Verse 4 of First Thessalonians 5, we are not in darkness so that th- this day should surprise us like a thief. We don't go through that darkness. Revelation 3.10, He will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world boy, that's about as clear as it gets. This hour of trial that's going to come upon the world starts a couple chapters after this verse is written, and that hour of trial is the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period, and God says he will keep us from that hour of trial. Remember Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus we are not under god's wrath. John chapter 3 ends with this idea that if you believe, you are saved, you're born again, but if you don't believe, you are still under god's wrath. Hmm. God's wrath is for unbelievers. Yeah. Not for believers. So that's reason number 5.
0: And of course, Jeff, some people will argue that god's wrath will be poured out but believers will be protected.
1: Yeah, so this is the picture kind of, well, didn't Noah go through the flood and uh, because he was protected in a boat and so on? And uh, yeah, it's, it's this idea that are we protected from the wrath or are we protected through the wrath? Um, I, this is a pretty good point to say, I think, a pretty powerful story and a really good lesson for me, actually. And I was teaching the end times class. We were discussing the rapture. I had a few Russian students in my class, and they were really excited about what they were learning. So they invited their Russian pastor to the class, and we were doing this lesson the timing of the rapture. Mm -hmm. Now, this Russian pastor was a solid post trib rapture guy. Okay. We're about 40 minutes into this class, and he just screams out, Heretic, heretic. And we had a little discussion. (laughs) And it's like, okay, you've missed my whole class, Pastor, and all of the things we've been talking and teaching leading up to this study tonight. Mm -hmm. So hold on to your ideas. I'll talk all you want after class, but I need to finish this lesson because he was kind of being insistent on me. So I spent over an hour with him after class, and he kept insisting that the church had to go through the tribulation period because the church needed more Uh, purification through the fires of the tribulation. Well, if that's your assumption, we don't have a timing of the rapture problem. We have a justification problem. We have an understanding of what Christ has done to his church. In other words, God has made his church holy and blameless in his sight. We've been made pure. We've been forgiven. We've been made the righteousness of Christ. The body of Christ, his church, needs no more purification. True. We have been made pure. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean the church is living out their calling perfectly in this world. We should be doing a lot more. But we need no more purification by tribulation fire. We have been made holy. And blameless and pure in God's sight. You see what I'm saying? I do entirely. So one, I've now discovered that many people who teach the post-trib rapture, they 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 go in with a premise that the church just needs to be purified. We're not living up to our calling. We need to be purified through the fires, and it misses the whole point that we have been made the righteousness of Christ. Mm-hmm. We are pure. You see what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. So, all right.
0: Very interesting point.
1: And, and you know, I often get people in my classes that raise, uh you know, get contentious in a way. And, you know, I've discovered it's often a learning experience for me. God uses it to teach me something in some way, shape, or form. And I, mm-hmm. I just grow deeper from it. So um, I don't complain about <laughs> those kind of people in my class anymore. Number seven. This is a very interesting idea. That How many minutes do we have before we go to the... Okay, we got time the very structure of the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, John sees a vision of Christ, and he writes this down. In chapters 2 and 3, he receives letters to seven churches um, from Christ that he writes down. And then he says that John, who was on the island of Patmos, was caught up to heaven and now begins to see the tribulation the events of the tribulation unfold in a vision and it says that he heard a trumpet that uh that and then was caught up to heaven and then these events start unfolding well in revelation john uh, revelation 4 1 it's john he's on earth he hears a voice like a trumpet that says come up here and then he's in heaven what does that sound like that sounds Exactly like First Thessalonians 4.16, the rapture passage that we, we read at the start of the hour where the church is on earth, hears a loud command and the trumpet call of God and we're caught up together with them in the clouds and there we'll be with the Lord forever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What is Revelation 4.1? It's a picture of the rapture of the church. John is caught up to heaven to see the vision of the tribulation events. The church will be caught up to heaven, uh, and and the world will experience the tribulation events. So I would argue the very structure, the outline of the book of Revelation itself, strongly suggests a pre-trib rapture. Mm -hmm.
0: I would tend to agree, Jeff.
1: Cool. (laughs) It is our hope. As I have
0: studied and studied, I've, I've come to that conclusion as well. Yeah. Yep.
1: It's, you know... I was able to have dinner with Tim LaHaye one night. He came to our church, and being kind of the end times teacher, I got an invite to go with about a dozen people uh, with Tim LaHaye. He had come to speak at our church, and it was an honor to meet this guy. The Left Behind series novels had been out. He was well known by this time, and and uh, and I got to talk to him a little bit. Mm-hmm. And in one of our conversations, he said this about the pre-trib rapture, and I'll never forget He said, it's been my experience, and he was 70 years old by then, I think, um, that those who get the pre-trib rapture right tend to get a lot of other doctrines right. And I said, wow, that's that's very interesting. Now, I'm going to amend that just a little bit because I really liked what he said, but I think if you get a lot of other doctrines right you tend to get the pre-trib rapture doctrine right. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. In other words, if you understand that the per- church has been made pure, you're not going to desire the church to go through the fires of the tribulation to be more purified. It's not necessary. We are pure. So I think I think those that tend to get more doctrines correct tend to see a pre-trib rapture. Um, so... Uh, Look, I wish there was a passage in Scripture that clearly articulates a pre-trib rapture. It's not there. It comes close, and we're painting a picture here today. Um, But I think, you know why I think? I think there's a reward in truly studying this, truly looking at all the passages, comparing passage to passage, and building this picture in this case for pre-trib rapture. I mean, I'm convinced. I'm absolutely convinced that the rapture is the next event on God's prophetic calendar.
0: So the good news, Jeff, is Jesus is coming, and we will be with him, and the fact that we're going to be with him is all I need to know at the it, end of the day. that
1: That's a great point, because whether or not you believe pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, whatever, in the end, we all believe that we're going to be with the Lord forever and ever, and yeah. isn't that the greatest reward of all? Yes, it yes, is. Yes, it is. So, all right, number eight. We see the church, the bride in heaven, at the start of the book of Revelation. And we see the bride, the church, at the end of the tribulation. But we don't see the church during the tribulation. What do I mean? At the start of the tribulation in Revelation, we see the church pictured by these 24 elders. They are already in heaven. They already have their crowns. In fact, they're laying their crowns at the feet of Jesus, Revelation 4.10. And so we see the church represented in heaven. Then the events of the tribulation unfold, Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 19, and all of this bad stuff happens on earth. And then we don't see the church again until Revelation 19, where she is pictured as a bride who has made herself ready, dressed in white linens, fine and clean, coming back with Christ, Revelation 19. Mm -hmm. And we do not see the church in between those two. Right. Why? Because I don't think we're on Earth. I think we're in heaven.
0: Yeah, we will return uh, with Christ, dressed in white, riding horses. It's gonna be a glorious moment.
1: You you know what I'm gonna say next, don't you?
0: What did what did you name your horse?
1: What did I name my horse? I love this. What so I've already name? named my horse. We're all riding on white horses. A yeah, lot yeah. of Christians don't know that. Yeah, I've already named mine. What is it? Thunder.
0: <laughs> what if thunder's already taken? What if? That, uh, I've, what already, I've already I've already taken it. Really?
1: Yeah. Now, my good friend, Brian, who I teach with every once in a while, he says, he says, I'm going to name my horse Lightning because Lightning always precedes Thunder.
0: <laughs> all right. I'll all be right. following Brian all the way down, I guess. So you think. All right. We'll take a little break. We'll come back. We'll continue our study with Jeff Verdorn. We're in First Thessalonians, and we're finding out spectacular uh, references to uh, the rapture in every chapter of First. Thessalonians. And 2 Thessalonians. So we'll be right back in just a minute. Welcome back to the show. Jeff Fradorna is my guest, and we are just wrapping up in a fantastic study. We're going to be in this for a Several more episodes because we're going through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And just to get this uh, segment started, Jeff, you want me to read out of John chapter 14? Yes. Uh, Which verses? 2 and 3. 2 and 3. My father's house has many rooms, but if that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am.
1: So here we have this clear direction of travel statement. Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. He left, right? He rose up um, to heaven uh, from the amount of olives in Acts chapter one. And he says, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come back and take you to be with me in heaven. Again, the church being caught up with christ at the rapture moving from the earth up into heaven and so that you may be where i am also well that is in heaven but so there's a clear rapture passage john 14 it is the first reference to the rapture in the new testament in this in scripture and uh, that's john 14 2 and 3. now what's interesting about this passage is this idea that he's going to his father's house to prepare a room, and then coming back to take us, the bride of Christ, to be with him. Well, how would the first century Jew have understood that? Well, if you understand the process of of the marriage tradition in first century Israel, this would have made perfect sense to you. In the marriage tradition in Israel, the groom's father would select a bride. God selects us, the bride the church ephesians 1 4 we are his elect his he has selected us a price would be paid this price was a dowry and this price would be offered to the parents of the groom the father i'm sorry the the father of the bride and to basically be a gift well God says that Christ has paid the price first corinthians 6 20 that's the price that has been paid the groom the as part of this uh the the bride would have to accept. They would be then be offered a contract, and this contract would spell out the terms of the marriage, and the bride would have to accept it. This is exactly what we see in Scripture, that the bride, us, need to accept. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So there is still, even though that God... I'm sorry, even though that the groom's father is the one who selected the bride, the bride still has the the option to say yes or no. And so we need to say yes to Christ in order to become part of his bride. This contract would then be sealed, if she said yes, this contract would then be sealed with a cup of wine. Well, what did Jesus do at the Last Supper? He took wine and said, in this, this represents my blood. It's a new covenant, a new promise, a new contract, if you will, in him. He was sealing this new covenant of the bride, just as they did in the marriage tradition. The groom, after the contract had been sealed and the glass of wine would be shared, the groom would then depart. He would leave. He would go away in order to prepare a place on his father's house or near his father's house where they would then live. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and pre- in my father's house or many rooms, he's going to prepare a place for us. Now, the bride's responsibility was to be ready. That's all she had to do is to be ready. Now, there was some ceremonial washing that she would bathe and be cleansed. There's multiple images of how we have been cleansed. We've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. We baptize with water to show that we've been included in Christ in that way. And we are simply to be ready for his return because the bride never knew when the groom was going to return. She was just to be ready. And
0: well, I just, We got to stop just for a second and say, ladies, how does this sound? <laughs> you get ready for your wedding day every day?
1: Yeah, every day yeah. and be ready yeah. and waiting. Yeah, But this goes exactly what we were talking about earlier. We don't know, and I think God has wanted his church to believe that he could return at any time throughout the last 2,000 years. And you know what? You go back in history, and there are Christians who've honestly believed that the Lord could come back within their lifetime in every generation since the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians thought that they had missed it or that the end times had already come hmm then the groom would return at some time usually at night and you know how he would return with a trumpet there'd be a large procession of people the trumpets would be blowing the shofar would be blown and the bride knew that the groom was here he has come well what do we see at the rapture of the church but a trump the that trump. sounds yeah right they would then pick up the bride and carry her back to her father's house.
0: Wow. Wow. So, Jesus says, I'll come get you and take you.
1: And take you me. to be where I am also. Yeah. Exactly. We are carried. We are snatched up. The Hebrew, the Greek word for uh, rapture is harpazo, snatched away, carried off. And the bride is carried off back to our father's house. They would then spend seven days in their father's house, in the addition to the father's house, And at the end of that seven-day period, they would burst forth and there'd be a giant marriage feast. Mm -hmm. Well, the church is going to be in heaven for how long? Seven years. At the end of which, we are going to burst forth, and I saw heaven open up. And the Son of Man, riding on a white horse, followed by the armies of heaven, dressed in fine linen, white and clean, coming down with Christ. And he first treads the winepress of the wrath of God. He has to defeat the armies of the world first and and save Israel. And there's a sheep and a goat judgment. But then he's going to establish his kingdom, his thousand-year kingdom on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you know what the first thing we do in this new kingdom We have a feast. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And it's described in Revelation chapter 21. There's this great marriage feast where Isaiah says it will be filled with the finest meats and the choicest wines. What a celebration that will be. Now, there are a couple of parables that describe this marriage feast. And uh, and Scripture will add passages such as, Blessed is he who is invited to this marriage feast, to this wedding. And we see that in the Gospels and the New Testament, these references to this wedding. And so a lot of people think that we as the church are invited to this marriage supper. I don't think we are. I don't think we're invited. The bride is never invited to her own wedding banquet. Mm -hmm. She's the guest of honor. The people who are invited to this banquet are the ones who survived the tribulation in bodily form and Israel who saved and they will enter into the kingdom in their earthly bodies. We, the bride, are in our glorified bodies and we are the bride, we are the guest of honor at that wedding feast. So look, when a Jew would have heard Jesus say, I go and prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back, they would have immediately recognized, oh, that's a marriage tradition that you're talking about. And lo and behold, we have this imagery from the New Testament of Jesus as the groom, the church as her bride. And this rapture, this idea of a rapture prior to the tribulation period to come lines up with that exactly. I mean, it's, it's just it can't be a coincidence. Now, I will say this marriage whole example, I, I, this is not a specific Bible verse, but a pattern from kind of the con- uh, cultural context that we're talking about here. So anyway, I just think that's so cool. In fact, there's a uh, a whole movie that some folks have done on this where they outline all of these steps in detail. Um, and it's a, a it's a good movie. So um, one last thing, because there are many people who will argue against the idea of a pre-trib rapture. And it usually centers around a guy by the name of John Darby. If you ever discuss this idea with people, they're going to bring up John Darby if they're critics of the pre-trib rapture. And they say, oh, this idea of a pre-trib started with John Darby in the late 1800s and nobody ever taught it before then. And it's just not true. One, it's not relevant. But two, it's not true. Yes, John Darby did teach a pre-trib rapture. That was his conclusion, like me. It was his conclusion, like you. But there are many examples throughout history from the first century of people teaching a pre-trib concept. One I have right here, Ephraim the Syrian in 300 AD said this, For all the saints and elect of God are gathered together before the tribulation which is to come and are taken to the Lord in order that they may not see at any time the confusion which overwhelms the world the tribulation, Mm -hmm. because of our sin. Well, that's a clear pre-trib statement in the third century. So if anybody ever brings up John Darby or Margaret McConnell and says that this is a new teaching, no. The idea comes from Scripture. That's where we go. If you want to debate the timing of the rapture, well, then go to Scripture. Don't go to some guy named John Darby. It doesn't matter what some guy a hundred years ago taught or didn't teach on the raptor it rapture. It's irrelevant. Let's go to scripture and piece the pieces together and paint a picture like we just did in the last hour.
0: hmm Well done, Jeffrey Dorn. It's been an interesting study as we continue to go through first and second Thessalonians. I I know the, the the topic of uh the rapture and the tribulation and the second coming is a constant uh, problem for people to understand well, and I, I don't call it a problem. I call it a have you studied long and hard to understand what what the the rapture is and and the tribulation and all that.
1: It it is hard, and and because it is spread out all over Scripture, and you have to put the pieces together. So it's a lot of work.
0: Yeah. That wraps up our show. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you've had a wonderful day, and I hope you've enjoyed Jeff's teaching. Have a great night, and I'm looking forward to spending time once again with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.